Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be reacting to that Sheffield United game and we'll be hearing directly from Steve Bruce. We're going to have a little chat about Elliot Anderson's debut in the FA Cup game against Arsenal. We'll also be dipping into the archives ahead of Monday's return to the Emirates. Uh, And we've also got the very first instalment of the great Newcastle United pub quiz, which I must tell you we recorded well in advance uh, of the result of tonight's game. However, before we get into all of that, George, Chris, how are you doing? Chris, are you okay, mate? How's tricks? Well, (laughs) I I haven't really got many words, which is not great for a podcast, is it? No, 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 that's not true. I will will find some, but that was, I mean, we've had some very, very, very 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 bad days and this was this was a lot possibly up there with, with the very worst of them this evening so yeah so that wasn't, wasn't it good. george how are you keeping man how's the sparrow <sighs> oh what's buggy well yeah well that's the that's the life affirming bit um he's okay he's doing all right yeah, yeah he's better than me um i think this week will be the week of the big big release for Spuggy the Sparrow who's living in my greenhouse if you don't know what that's what we're talking about there I, I, I'm sorry I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the heart to even talk I don't I can't smile oh George come on make, <sighs> it, can't make your face Actually, work make your brain work I wrote I wrote <clears throat> something the other day I sort of said a thank you to football and the idea about that was actually something to do with Steve Bruce and what he said about it being morally wrong for football to be played at the minute. And oh, it's just football's just wrong, full stop, isn't it? I just it's, yeah. no, I just want football. I don't, I don't feel any gratitude to football at the moment. I just want it to oh, piss off. Whole load of bullshit, isn't it? Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna get into that, and we're gonna get into the uh, into the Sheffield United result and all the fallout from that. But before we get into that, let me quickly remind you that you can sign up to the Athletic right now for just three ninety nine a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled Newcastle coverage in 2021 as well as all the ad-free podcasts via the app just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod well then Sheffield United 1 Newcastle United 0 we've lost the game Uh, Sheffield United hadn't won uh, a game this season, 17 games without a win, two points on the board, and along comes Steve Bruce's Newcastle uh, and gives them a little boost. Chris, it was pretty awful, wasn't it? Well, to be fair, I mean, they sent out a very, very attacking team, Newcastle. <laughs> the, I mean, that's what I, I, w- I, was, oh. I, was, I was I was, tweeting out before the game and sort of reacting to it, and I saw a lot of anger on social media. And it's one of those things where at the weekend against Arsenal, I... I just didn't understand the team selection and it, it almost yeah. sort of worked against Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal really bad, but it almost sort of, so Carroll actually played and lasted far longer than I thought he would at the weekend and and having the wing-backs who weren't really wing-backs di- didn't actually prove as detrimental as possible. So when I was tweeting out before the game night, I was thinking, well, there must be some sort of idea here, some sort of plan which is going to be different. There's got to be and a was, thought behind this, yeah. Yeah, to play with a five-man defence, to go to a team who haven't haven't kept a clean sheet all season, haven't won in 20 Premier League matches if you go back to the, to the end of last season as well, are ridiculously low on confidence. A game that Newcastle needed really to win, but Steve Bruce treated it very much of the opinion. It was clearly a team set up not to lose, but the problem was as soon as they conceded, they were always going to lose. But even before that, even before the, the, the red card, even before the penalty incident, Newcastle did what Newcastle have done far too often, and that was be passive, to cede the initiative to the opposition, to let them have so much of the ball. And then on the rare occasions they got it, Newcastle's passing accuracy was absolutely abysmal once again. I mean, in the end, they finished with a passing accuracy of 68%, uh, 68.6%. Second half, that is 60% passing accuracy. It was just 
awful. Yeah, they set they set up. I said this to Chris beforehand, or just as it started, that they'd set up as if they were playing a Sheffield United last season, and Sheffield United were, yeah. were excellent last season. They were really good, and you know they were ferocious and they were physical, and and it's like Newcastle sort of went there cowering. You know they were cowering, and I kind of made yeah, I made yeah, yeah. I made I made a joke on Twitter. I sort of said it's you know it's kind of nice of Newcastle to to let Sheffield United play themselves into form, but they did. And by the end, Sheffield <laughs> yeah, United were actually looking were actually looking good. And it's it's it was that attitude really that 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 sort of the most dis- distressing thing. And this this whole idea of work in progress. I mean, that just has to be demolished for what it is now yeah, this is not absolutely. a work in progress this is this is a study in decline and that's what we're that's what we're watching i mean quite quite funny or quite interesting i said i said that again on on social media and i got a response from a mate of mine uh, one, one of my kind of closest friends who's a Sheffield united fan he used to live up here in jesmond and i met him at bramall lane last season if you remember that incredible smash and grab at, at bramall lane last season and he just responded to me and sort of said Newcastle were were as played like they played last season. They set up in a similar way, and they just didn't have the luck. You know, it didn't run for them in the same way. And actually, I don't wholly agree. I think it was particularly bad tonight. But I sort of do agree that for all the way through last season, we were discussing how the football did not marry the results. And tonight, the football got the result it absolutely deserved. Yeah. Completely. I mean, I said before the game when I saw the team uh, come out and uh, this this got a bit of traction on uh, on Twitter as well that it looked like a team which was set up by someone shit scared of losing the game. That's how it felt to me. It it, it felt like it felt like an apology of a team to me. It it just didn't seem necessary. I don't. I think it was far too defensive. Uh, and the way we set up in the game, the way we came out and and sat back and passively just allowed Sheffield United to have the ball to come on to us. I mean, the, the 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 possession in the first thirty minutes was something was something ridiculous, like 80, 80 odd percent Sheffield United. It was astonishingly bad. Um, and I didn't think we could get any worse than what I've seen us this season. And it just keeps happening. But I've said that about five times this season already. I don't think we can get worse than that. And then it is. Uh, and again, if not for Carl Darlow making a couple of great saves, he could have been two 0 down in the first half easily. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean that's that's Newcastle full stop, isn't it? Just just when you think, I mean, I was like sort of thinking before the game, how you know how bad can this be? And it's like, oh yeah, okay, it, it can be really, really shit. I mean, it can be really shit, and it can always be shitter. And there were sort of some funny moments last season because there were some because because those moments themselves were good and Bramall Lane was a sort of hilarious one and I was working that night so I had to try and make sense of it um, for the Athletic and it was very difficult to make sense but I know that a load of Newcastle fans who were there absolutely loved it because it was it's a it's a brilliant away game to be at because because you're spawny and then you win and there was the ridiculous goal you know you could sort of take enjoyment in that but. Of course, you don't take an enjoyment from a result like that, and but the, you know the bigger picture is that we're living in this era where enjoyment is drained from everything when there's nobody there because it's just gone. It's gone straight away, and you're immediately onto the next match. But you know, it's it's that that just was not acceptable. I mean, it wasn't acceptable. It wasn't excusable. You can't um, you can't wipe away any of it. Obviously, there was. We have to talk about the sending off. Yes. Yeah, I was just about to mention that, but yeah, well, go on then. Well, I was going to say, obviously, Ryan um, Ryan Fraser getting sent off in the first half doesn't help matters, but I don't think we can allow that to cloud just how bad that, that performance was. I mean, I know the sending off does put teams on a back foot, but we were already there. It didn't force us any further back, did it? It was just... It just meant we didn't have as many outlet balls, or we didn't have as many players going forward when we broke, Chris. It, it, I don't think the sending off can be used as an excuse this time, can it? No, I don't think I can, and and I saw a lot of people mention on social media, and I sort of agree with them that I didn't think Ryan Fraser looked fully fit either when he was out there. I don't, I don't think he'd really contributed that much. I don't think the team shape had, had worked. I mean, Steve Bruce after the game talked about how he tried something that he he tried something a bit different that he wanted to have as the the two false tens as as, as he as he called them in in Sean Longstaff and, and Ryan Fraser, and he said we didn't set up that differently to in recent games, and and in terms of actual formation I suppose possibly not but it was it was very much back to the Man City approach of 
sit off and let the opposition have the ball. And whereas against, certainly against Liverpool at moments against Leicester and even at moments against Arsenal, it wasn't quite like that. Newcastle actually did try and press a little bit high. There was, there was no pressure put on Sheffield United tonight. It was it was the complete opposite of that. And what, what I found so frustrating and why I don't think that the sending off it is an excuse that can be used is that before and we've all talked about over the last few days I spoke to George about it I spoke to a few colleagues at other media outlets in North East today and we're sort of discussing tonight's game and saying that if Newcastle win that is pretty much season over in terms of they'd move on to 22 points there'd be an 11 point gap to the bottom three that have wrestled away some of the negative momentum, and yeah, they'd still have they'd still have to get another ten, fifteen points to, to be safe. But really, given the gap to the bottom three, that they would certainly be in a comfortable position. But lose, and suddenly the whole season is gone in, in the space of three weeks. They've gone out in embarrassing fashion to Brentford. They've struggled, albeit in a, with a very difficult fixture list, but a fixture and and due to COVID situations they've had, but a fixture list which also included playing against Fulham in the bottom three, mm. Sheffield United in the bottom three. Uh, West Brom, who they're beating the bottom three, but also Leeds, who they got hammered with a newly promoted side, and then also they've gone to Arsenal and they've they've lost and got knocked out of of the FA Cup. Yes, it was a reasonable enough performance, but still that they've managed to go out with that competition as well. And in the space of of those few weeks, the season has dropped off a cliff, and it looks like yeah. it is really it it doesn't look like there's anything below it to catch it at the moment. Yeah. That's my that's the real concern for me. I'm George, eating chocolate. I'm eating chocolate coins. Go for it, George. You 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 deal with this however you want, mate. I was gonna I was gonna say, George. I mean, the last six games we've got one point, one goal, uh, and no wins. Uh, the form is absolutely shocking. Steve Bruce is be, is coming under immense pressure now from supporters, although he still seems to be getting backed by uh, the majority of pundits on TV, which I find rather strange. But there you go. Um, it, at what point does this position become untenable? Is it if it's not there already? I, I mean, I'm starting to. I'm starting to wonder about this. If the fans were in the ground, surely this this wouldn't be going on this long, would it? Yeah. So, I mean, we don't have that, do we? We don't have the arena of St. James's Park or, uh, you know, the away end. And so we're in this sort of strange... It's not a vacuum because we do have social media, but that's sort of all we have. So we have this constant shouting because that's what Twitter is like. I mean, you're either shouting good things or more often you're shouting negative things. So it's this sort of wind tunnel of shouting that doesn't make any sense but I mean I'm sure people know know what I mean and so if you look at it I mean I, I said I said near the start of the season that if you only look at Twitter you'd be amazed that Steve Bruce has still has a job in the first place so you sort of have to remove that in some way from your thinking but it has now got to the point I think where um you know, you can't. There's no hide. You know, there's no hiding place from this. There is hiding place to a certain extent against Liverpool and Leicester and Arsenal and Man City, because you can point to the fixture list. You can point to the fact that they're still dealing with the after effects of of COVID and and things like that. But you can't. You really can't make an excuse against Sheffield United. And then you do, as Chris says, you put it into into the context of what we've seen before and. We have had this disconnect, this huge disconnect between what we're told by people on the radio and the telly and what we're seeing with our own eyes. And I think that's the thing that with this tonight, it feels, you know, it feels like result and performance are together on the same plane. I'm, I might be being harsh by that, but I don't think I'm being very harsh that for a long time we've seen poor performances and better results and Tonight we saw a really poor performance and the result that deserved, and I think that's the kind of scary thing. As far as Steve Bruce is concerned, I mean, we're not dealing with a rational, logical football club, are we? I mean, that's the thing to say. So, yeah. if you, if what all you can do in these moments, because they don't talk and they don't brief, so you you have to sort of put it into historical precedent, and you know that they take really baffling decisions. So, whether it's uh, sacking Chris Hutton, you know, from a position of relative strength when they did to bring in Alan yep. Pardew, to Joe Kinnear, to something that came out of the blue like Kevin Keegan, to sticking with Pardew far beyond the point that he lost the fans, to... And Steve stick, McLaren. Yeah. To sticking, yeah, absolutely. Well, sticking with John Carver until oh, God, the end yeah. of the season that they only stayed up with on, the, you know, the last day of the season after a horrific yeah. run of results while they waited for Steve McLaren. I mean... <laughs> You know, and then Steve only McLaren. only Newcastle United. So, so we know that they're not a sacking club. 
no. you know, more or less, certainly under this current regime with Lee Charnley where he is. Um, so that's one thing to say. And certainly until relatively recently, they'd been, they were, you know, they, the, the word coming back was that they were kind of satisfied with, with what Steve Bruce had done. They backed him pretty heavily in the summer, certainly in terms of the players that he wanted or the kind of players he wanted. But as, as I've said a few times um, on the pod, there is a slight difference this season, and or, or there's a couple of slight differences. The first one is the takeover that's been lingering on and on and is still ongoing in terms of the legal shenanigans that are happening behind the scenes. And for that reason, you know, Newcastle at the moment are worth 300 million quid or 304 million quid, which is the price that Ashley agreed. He is desperate to get out. We know that. He cannot afford Newcastle to be relegated. At the same time, you know, we have a shitstorm of a season where all bets are off, where clubs are losing money left, right, and centre. You know, because of because their stadiums are not full. The the jeopardy of going down this season is greater than ever, and you know that's something that can't be ignored. And so, you would have to hope. And I'm not saying that Steve Bruce should be sacked. You would have to hope that within the club they are having the conversation, they're having grown-up conversations between themselves at this point to say, all right, this is not working. Can we make it better? Um, can we make it right? How do we do that? What do we do? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we should, pro- we should probably defer to Chris because Chris has asked Steve Bruce about this. He has, yeah. Um, I mean, I was going to say, George, you're, you're saying that you're not saying that, that you think Steve Bruce should be sacked. I Personally, I am now definitely saying I think he should be sacked. I think we've gone beyond the point now where it's dangerous and we're now in a really, you know, we're in a really dodgy territory here. I mean, like you say, the, the, the Premier League survival here is of greater importance this year than it has been for a long, long time. And with that in mind, like you say, the club needs to start thinking some grown-up thoughts uh, and not be, you know, uh, not be petulant and 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 not uh, not be silent and and start having these conversations. Um, Steve Bruce's future has to be un- under question now. And Chris, you've you've spoke to Steve Bruce tonight. You've asked him about his future. How did that go? Well, it was it was interesting because it wasn't like Postman City, um, which came in the aftermath of of all the, the Brentford criticism, that press conference was was terse. There was a lot of short answers from him. He was clearly angry with the local media. And actually, tonight there wasn't. It, he wasn't dismissive in terms of questions. He did answer some of the questions. I'm sure supporters probably won't like to hear necessarily what he had to say. But it wasn't. It wasn't a hostile press conference so much. But yeah, sort of. Uh, basically asked him. I said, given given the recent performances and certainly the performance tonight, a lot of supporters are suggesting that that they believe he should be sacked and asked him what did he thought of that and also whether he considered his own position. Let's hear what he said. You're asking the wrong person for that. I think was apart from the last month, which we knew was going to be difficult with the run of fixtures we've had, um, we've given ourselves a decent start to the season. Now, we're not even halfway there yet. And of course, we're all disappointed that we haven't picked up enough points over the last five, six games. But... I'll still stick with my beliefs that we still have to be a bit pragmatic and accept that, you know, we we can't accept the first half performance, don't get me wrong, Chris. We can play better than that, that's for sure. But we still have to maintain a a certain way that defensively anyway, which is keeping us in the games that that uh, that we're involved with. I don't don't know where to start with that, to be honest. I I mean, just just to give, I just want to give some context though, to sort of, press conferences in the Zoom world and so we've had a lot of uh, there's been a lot of people in recent weeks on social media sort of saying that that Bruce isn't asked difficult questions and the like and and I would sort of defend journalists in the sense that it's a lot more difficult to ask questions over Zoom so for example there what I had to do was you, you you each journalist, you have to press a uh, raise hand function button to ask a question. And then most of the time, certainly post-game, you don't then get the opportunity to follow up. So you ask your question and then it tends to move on to someone else. So there's not too much of a flow. Now, after I'd asked that question, there was then a follow-up question. And Bruce went on to to, to, to say that, um, again, he reiterated that it wasn't up to him. to He's the wrong person to ask about his future. But he also said that he understands, that especially watching the first half, we weren't good enough. And at the end of the day, I take responsibility for that because I pick the team but I understand that a lot of supporters will still not like his answers they won't think that he's been pressed hard enough but it's not actually that easy in a COVID world to, to, to ask questions and then follow up on them as maybe it once was in, in other press conferences 
I just it just feels like a bit of a nothing answer to me, Chris. It 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 the, the answer to your question. It's a very valid question, and part of your question was has he considered his own future? And he's, you know, he's he's kind of ignored that a bit. And and what he has said has been a bit wishy washy for me. And it it's just not good enough. It's not all good I'd, enough. All I'd say to that though, Taylor, is that I mean, in some ways, I mean, Chris is absolutely right to ask that question. It's a valid question. It's just that managers don't resign. I mean, it just does not happen. Okay. Every now and again it does. Rude Hullet did it and didn't get any compensation and all that. But I mean that is that is few and far between in this. So it's it's almost a game that I mean, I don't mean it's a game that Chris has to it's not, but but managers do not resign. <laughs> it's just not what happens. It's not how the game works. And I'm not saying that he's um I'm not saying that he's having said that, he did walk away, now that I remember it, he did walk away from Hull when they got promoted to the Premier League because he was concerned about interference, um, you know, interference in the team and and stuff like that. So it's not so he he has done it before. He hasn't so I've kind of just destroyed my own argument there. No, no, but, but I know what you're I know but, what you're saying though, but, George. I get, I get but, exactly what you're saying. But it's also I mean, it's also one of those things, and I will defend him to the to the extent here that he will be thinking to himself right i'll show you you know i'll show you and um you know he will have faith in his own to, to be a manager you've got to have an ego the size of a mountain i mean you do because you've got to be tough enough to kind of withstand all that sort of stuff but you also have to be the person that makes the decisions you make de- easy decisions tough to say you're the person that all falls on and you 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 have to be you know you have to have a proper ego to do that and you know this is why i'm digressing but this is why there'll always be a manager that will sign the problem player and i remember bobby robson talking about this so bobby talking about this he's because you're you're the person that thinks you'll tame them and in the same way when managers look at a team struggling near the foot of the table and they're coming into a job they think to themselves i'm the one that can turn this around and very often they're wrong but he'll be thinking now right i'll show you and I can, you know, I've got this experience, and I can turn it around. And I, I, I think it, I think it, it, it does tend to to be. Um, I mean, it's it's more like what happened at Hull with Bruce or Keegan at Newcastle the second time. Um, well, in yeah. fact, not not far off the first time when the when the when the club had had been had become a PLC and was a very different sort of beast to the one that he was used to. It's that type of thing that persuades managers to walk away rather than results. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, was there any positives tonight at all, Chris? Was there anything that was positive tonight? Uh, Carl Darlow again, but we've said that too often. Um, yeah, you can't have that now. We've used that up. No, <laughs> we've uh, used I up mean, all the Carl Darlows. I mean, just a slight point. And this is the, the game was completely basically gone by then. But I, d- I still am flabbergasted that Billy Sharp wasn't dismissed for what was a horrendous oh, yeah, challenge. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was cynical and yeah. was bad. And I do have uh, some sympathy for that, but not in terms of that. Didn't that shouldn't have changed the, the overall result. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about the, the penalty and, and VAR and, and, and maybe maybe Newcastle were slightly unfortunate in, in the way they ended up conceding, but I have no I have no sympathy in the sense that I just think that they, they deserve to lose and therefore I, I, I can't get too angry about that one. What was the VAR decision last season? Remind me. I was there for it. But I oh, that was offside. Was that was Shelby. Where he Carol was offside flicking the ball on yeah. and Shelby ran on and kept playing and the linesman flagged and Shelby put the ball in and then it got That's checked, right. didn't it? And I remember, I remember it was Chris Wilder spoke for what felt like hours afterwards about sort of saying... <laughs> He didn't recognise the game anymore and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually, you know, it's not too dissimilar from what Steve Bruce has, uh, yeah. has talked about tonight in terms of the... I mean, I don't recognise the game Steve Bruce is playing at the minute, I'll be perfectly honest No, with you. I mean, and I think that, I think that's... <laughs> That is the that is the problem. I'm mean, joking aside. We've 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 all looked at this game coming up and said, oh, you know, it'll be Newcastle. Newcastle will be the one that, you know, that get they're given their first win." And it's sort of, it's so depressingly. Um, predictable that that should have happened and I think the thing is that it is bad it's really really bad and I'm feeling sort of sad and angry and all that but part of me is also feeling a bit dead inside because Mm. this is on a par with what we've seen far too often this is the football we're seeing it's not like they've been playing okay and suddenly there's this dreadful terrible result that makes your stomach stomach stink and you stink sink sink stink What's happened? I'm in a rap. I'm doing a rap. Sometimes your stomach does stink, but that's the yeah. Sometimes you don't. And and it's it's not like that. It's not the shock of it. It's not like yeah. it's a shock, is it? I mean, no. Sheffield United were favourites to win, 
and they won. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's just, it is just that thing, that cold feeling inside that uh, this is how it is. And, and this was a particularly bad version of it, but it's more or less like this. It's on a par with this far too often. Um, and, and yeah, I think people are craving, people are just craving something else. And it does get to, and when I said before, I wasn't saying that Steve Bruce should be sacked. I think, I think it's a perfectly valid, you know, conversation. I think it's, I've, my, my fear, I suppose last season, my fear was kind of, well, all right. So a lot of people don't want Steve Bruce, but seriously, honestly, let's have that conversation about what you think this lot would do, who they would bring in next. And I think that I think last season, when results were again far better than performances, you know, I, th- I, th- I think I think I think my I think that response was okay. I mean, a lot of people didn't like it, but I think that response was okay. There does come a point though where you have to sort of say, actually, pretty much anything might be better than this, or it just needs something different. And you know, please, no, not joking here, but. I mean, do you know what I mean? I mean, Nobody and that needs that. No, that having somebody experienced, competent, again, people would would question some of these phrases, you know, that maybe that was the best that Newcastle were going to get last season and they just had to be guided through and by the end of that season Newcastle were guided through, but this feels like something different now. And so it is, you know, it feels really uncomfortable, but that discomfort is it's not the fault of fans. It's not the fault of you know them at all. They're responding to what they're seeing and what they've been served up month after month after month. Is this a relegation fight now, Chris? Uh, yes. I mean, the only thing saving grace for Newcastle at the moment is that certainly, I mean, the bottom two, even though Sheffield United won tonight, the bottom two are effectively cut adrift. But yes, Newcastle, Newcastle now have to view this as a relegation battle. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's all gone a bit shit, hasn't it? Yeah, and bearing in mind this was supposed to be our cheery podcast when we changed well, well, we, things around a bit. And the we, podcast rebranding, we picked a great week to do that, didn't we? <laughs> Looks like I picked the wrong week to give up smoking. I actually have stopped drinking as well. I packed in drinking oh, yeah. a, a, a couple you of weeks ago. Poor and, uh, and, it, and, it, and the Ryan Fraser red card happened the night and I just looked towards the kitchen door and thought, I could go and get a beer, couldn't I? <laughs> Who's going to, you know, no one's going to see. No one's going to tell me off. I didn't do it. I, I, I held off. Oh, I was being strong. Well, let's move on. Let's try and introduce a little bit of levity into the uh, into the podcast. Um, like we said, we did try a little rebrand this week. We thought we'd stick a few new bits and pieces in there, a few little features uh, to get your uh, ears a burning, and you can listen to some different stuff uh, with a little quiz, George versus Chris. And I will reiterate, we recorded this this afternoon at three o'clock when everything seemed rosy in the world. Uh, before Newcastle had lost to Sheffield United. So if you are feeling a bit down in the dumps, ladies and gents, please uh, pull a chair up and listen to George slowly lose his mind as we ask him questions. Here we go. So Newcastle United crashed out of the FA Cup uh, on Saturday at Arsenal. Was it Saturday? It feels like forever ago. It was Saturday, wasn't it, Chris? I thought we covered Arsenal last week. I thought we covered this defeat in advance. <laughs> yeah, I did, we I did, did that perfectly. We? we did mention that it was going to be a defeat, and we were right. So yeah, they crashed out of the FA Cup to Arsenal on, on Saturday, but one of the bright sparks of that game uh, in an otherwise dull afternoon uh, was the debut of young Elliot Anderson. Um, a fantastic uh, shown from the young lad, and great to see some talent on the pitch coming through from the academy, Chris. 
It was great to see uh, Elliot Anson come on, and he was really was a positive from that game. I thought in general, if we're just going to quickly talk about the match for for certainly the second half, I thought Newcastle played well. Possibly should have and could have uh, have won it given Andy Carroll's Andy two Carroll huge chances. Andy Carroll with those sitters, oh, man. I know. Oh. Are they, they are goals if they fall to Callum Wilson, aren't, aren't they? I feel like they might be, you know. Oh, you'd have thought so, yeah. You'd, you'd, yeah. I mean, you'd like to think for most people there would be. But anyway, I mean, Elliot Anderson himself <laughs> had an opportunity when he came on. But yeah, he came, I think it was nine minutes to go. And he's been someone who's been in and around the first team, training with them since September. He's partly benefited from uh, the situation that's been brought about by COVID in the sense that the under-23s are completely separate from the first team now. Yeah. And so Anderson was brought up to train with the first team. And he's there, A, on merit, but also B, because he can't he can't necessarily fleet between the two different quote-unquote bubbles. He has played for the 23s in some matches, but he's travelled the game separately. He's been kept uh, separate from them, except playing during the matches. And and Bruce said a few weeks ago that it was it was inevitable that he was going to make his debut being that impressed with them. And he's... He's really made an impression actually on Alan Sam Maximan during training, that, 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 which is, uh, oh, which, is that right? I don't know if that's a positive or a negative in terms of him taking him under his wing, but um, but the two <laughs> of them, yeah, it's, uh, Sam Maximan's uh, really really taken to him and, uh, and likes what he's seen from him. He's he's, he's an 18 year old attacker midfielder, a long been seen as someone who was going to break into the first team at some stage. The, the long staffs obviously broke through in the last couple of years but Anderson from about the age of 12 or 13 there was there was really high wow. hopes for him and that, that he had something a bit different about him um is actually his granddad Jeff Allen played in a was part of the 1969 Fairs Cup winning squad so there is there is um clearly the genes are, links. are very good yeah, very good links there but it's been a, a really really positive thing to, to see over the last few weeks to just have something to hold on to and, and then given Newcastle's paucity in terms of the lack of creativity in midfield Anderson does bring something a little bit different he does like to try things he looked very comfortable on the ball and yes, I think that, that actually those midfield issues have also benefited him and that's probably why we may see more of him in, in the coming days and weeks hopefully I didn't think the uh, I didn't think the occasion got to him or anything either. He looked like he fitted in straight away, George, didn't he? He was he was on the pitch. He was getting stuck in. He was putting his mark on the game. Yeah, well, one of the things you you look for when a kid comes through the team comes through into the team is to see what sort of attitude they have and had, you know as well as the actual quality he's got, which I think we could see. He just didn't have any fear, did he? There was no there was no holding back. There was no sense that he was overawed by the occasion. And um, no, very you know that side of it was very encouraging. For me, I mean, I, I hate doing this because I know this is what happens whenever a young player comes through. They get compared to a, a, an established player and they say they are a young so-and-so. But the second he came on, the first name that popped into my head, the way he runs, the way he carried himself, the way he was playing the ball was, was I remember watching Ross Barkley when he was young. And I remember seeing him play and thinking, wow, actually, he's got a he's got a touch of that kind of bullish nature about him and I always I, I always thought Ross Barkley had a bit of the gazas about him when he was younger as well so I know it's I know it's lofty comparisons but that was the instant that he came on and he started uh, getting the ball and moving around I thought wow he's got a touch of the Barkleys about him Chris I can see where you come from and actually it's interesting comparison to make just in the obviously we're not talking about we're not what as you say we're not trying to get too far ahead of ourselves but Steve no, no. Bruce in the summer did want Ross Barkley and we've seen a lot on that recently about how he wanted a player like that and in some ways it may be to Anderson's benefit if Newcastle can't get another midfielder in this month because that's just the type of player they're looking for someone who's a little bit creative but if Anderson can show himself to be someone who can provide something like that then and if Newcastle fail to bring in anyone in the loan market and they've had issues so far in trying to do that then maybe he will benefit even more from that and it, when, when you said to George there did it look like uh, he didn't look overawed by the occasion well actually I spoke to, to someone close to him after the game on Saturday and basically it was amazing to, to hear that, that what Anderson sort of said after the game to them and that, that he di- he certainly didn't seem overawed by it and he almost has that naivety where I don't think he quite understands the magnitude yeah. of what he's just achieved and yeah. not in, a, in, a, in, a, in terms of the step up he didn't find it to be a huge step up he thought the intensity was different but he, he, he still felt he could make that step up, and not in a sort of arrogant way, just be, just that he is that talented that, that 
that really he, he did look very comfortable out there and it's only it's only 39 minutes or whatever we saw of him and he hasn't made his Premier League debut yet. I hope that we will see him, more of him in, in the coming weeks and months. But in a season, and well, two seasons really, where we've seen very little to be positive about, I think Elliot Anderson breaking through and just, just bringing that has been such a positive. And, and I, I wrote a big piece on him uh, back in November because I knew it looked highly likely he was going to make his debut at some point and spoke to people who, who know him well. And he benefited actually strangely from either side of lockdown. He basically grew, mm. I think it was four inches during during the lockdown period, so he was he was, wow. he was about five in height, five. yeah, and, and, and in check, height, yeah. <laughs> yes. Just to clarify, just checking out, you know, and that and that growth spurt really served him well because although he was there wasn't concerns necessarily that, that physically he was going to struggle to make the step up. It's just mm. the, the fact that he did sort of grow into his body a little bit more really given the opportunity for when they came back and they were looking at who, who are we going to have in and around the first team squad, who are we going to bring up from the 23 so that we've got extra bodies, who is going to be able to cope with that. And, and Elliot Anderson really benefited from that. And so, he's, as I say, he's someone who's been, there's been a lot of excitement around for, for a long while. And so hopefully this isn't just a, a little flash from him. And my understanding is that there's a lot of championship clubs interested in taking him on loan. Anderson himself would prefer to stay uh, certainly for the next couple of weeks and see whether he can get more game time rather than necessarily rush to go out on loan. I think Newcastle will take a little bit of time, see how they they go in the transfer market before making a decision as to whether they think they need to send him out or whether he might play reg- uh, well get more game time between now and the end of the season. Mm. Have you had a lot of coffee today, Chris? You're talking very fast. I can tell you're excited about this kid. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely a mile a minute. I mean, one of the things Newcastle have struggled with a little bit this season is ball retention and taking care of the ball and and, and being sort of um, more determined in possession to keep hold of things. And I thought when Anderson came on, he he, he looked like he, he looked like he wanted to try things, but he also looked very comfortable on the ball, George. He looked like he was sort of, like he knew what he was doing, like he had a bit of confidence in himself. And whether that's just the youth youthful exuberance and just getting, getting on with it, um, and he's not jaded by <laughs> by giving the ball away on the edge of his box every other week for six years. Uh, but he he just cracked on, didn't he? It was great. Yeah, I mean, this we've talked about it so many times. This is a team that absolutely despises the football, and you know <laughs> yeah, they're not. Af- yeah, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to show it. So it's it's definitely encouraging and nice to see someone who wants time on the ball, who wants to be on the ball, isn't afraid, isn't afraid to be positive about it. I mean, that's another criticism of this team that we mentioned frequently that so much of the play goes sideways or backwards um so no i mean i'm all for i'm all for that bit of forward momentum that that someone like anderson can uh, can bring i was listening intently there to to chris but then also your your sort of comparison with Ross Bartley is interesting because I remember, I can't remember the game or the occasion, but I remember he was at St. James's uh, for Everton, played absolutely brilliantly. And there were those comparisons with Gaza were, were made then. And obviously they were made, they were made because of where Bartley was playing that day. And um, obviously that's a very big sort of mantle to put on anybody's shoulders. And Bart- Bartley probably hasn't, hasn't kind of fulfilled that. But, um, you know, that's the kind of thing... We long to see, um, as Newcastle fans, one of our own coming through, being able to sort of dictate the play and, um, you know, yeah, hopefully hopefully um, he can carry on like that. Chris, you're obviously very excited about this young man. Is there any other, is there any other academy talent uh, knocking about that we should be keeping an eye out for on the radar? Well, in terms of people who may play this season, I, I don't think we're likely to see anyone else really, really break through and, and join the first team. But ne- next season, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with Kel Watts, a defender who's out on loan at the minute at, at Plymouth. And I, I, I call him a defender when actually he can play midfield. And when he was younger, he played up front. He's, he's very, very versatile and he's very talented. He's a ball-playing defender. He's, he's been playing, I think, in a back three for for uh, Plymouth, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with him going forward. There's also the likes of Tom Allen, but in terms of the younger ones who they're excited about for the future, Joe White is a young attacker midfielder, an 18-year-old from Carlisle, who Bruce has, has mentioned a couple of times this season, that they've really got high hopes for him, and also uh, Bobby Clark, a 15-year-old. That's a proper footballer's name, that, isn't it? Well, that it, is, it very that much is. That is a proper footballer's name, Bobby Clark, inside right for Fulchester United. That's, well, 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 when you when your dad's Lee Clark as well, you've got quite uh, you, you've well, got quite you the go. shoes to fill in exactly. So um, he's he's one who they're, they're, he's only fifteen, but he has played f- for the under eighteens, and and I think he may have even 
he may have even been pushing for the under-23s if football hadn't been disrupted as, as much as it has over the, over the last 12 months. And he's certainly one that sees positive future. I know a lot of other clubs elsewhere have, have, have taken a keen interest in Bobby Clark looking into his sort of situation. So really it would be... Uh, it, it, there are some talented players in, in Newcastle's academy, but obviously we know the issue that has been over the last decade or more is, is actually bringing them through and making sure they make that step up. Hopefully, the long staffs have shown that it can happen and that we'll see more from Anderson and, and the pathway is starting to open up, but it's it's still uh, in the early stages of that. This is the thing, isn't it, George? The academy has has been you know producing drips and jobs for for a good few years now, and with the exception of the long staff, there's been a bit of a dearth in talent, hasn't there, over the last few years? There's not an awful lot has came through, besides Andy Carroll, of course, uh, Paul Dummett, players like that, Stephen Taylor. But apart from that, there hasn't been an influx of youth, has there? No, I think the, one of the problems that has been the way the club has been run and managed. That the ownership did put great store you know did put great store on having um top academy status but there's been far too much change at the top of the academy over the years and not enough uh, stability and it's just not been seen as a place where kids are going to thrive and then get into the first team and so that's been that's been the a real problem for the club particularly when um clubs like Sunderland and Middlesbrough have been producing uh, players who either for, for their own first teams or for others and yeah hopefully this is the sign of better to come there has to be that link there so yeah fingers crossed there's more of this to come fantastic well i'm sure that's a, a one for us to keep an eye on his development and I'm, I'm i'm i'd be amazed if we didn't see more of him in and around the first team well there's still time for us to dip in the archives ahead of another trip to the emirates uh, we're going to get into that right after this this is a brand new feature for us. We're going to be pitting the wits of two of the Northeast's top journalists that we're able to get hold of. Um, <laughs> in the first of a new series of the Newcastle United pub quiz, this week, ladies and gentlemen, it is George v. Chris. Uh, are we ready for this, chaps? George, you've, you've seemed a bit, um, you have a bit of trepidation about this old quiz malarkey. Are you not good with the memory? I hate absolutely hate quizzes to the um, very core of my being, so I'm really looking forward to this new feature. Good. Yeah, yeah I'm glad we've done this. And Chris, you're a walking encyclopedia, aren't you? So you shouldn't have too much trouble with this. Yes, and the fact that George hates them so much makes it even more sweet that we get to do this every week, so I'm delighted. <laughs> Just wait until the week when George is the quiz master. Honestly, it's going to be an absolute nightmare, isn't it? It'll be carnage. Well, we are going to have to swap it around because I, I simply refuse to... I simply refuse to be the person getting answers wrong every week. I've, I've made the questions this week pretty difficult, I'll be honest, and they're all based around the 2010-2011 series, series season. Can you remember that far back, George? 2010-2011 uh, season, yes. So that was the first season Newcastle were back in the Premier League after promotion. Under yeah, you Chris and Chris did a big piece on this not long ago, so the, the, the stuff should be fresh in the memories. No, we it? didn't. We did a big piece on the championship season. Ah, oh, that's right, yeah. My mistake. But, Never but mind, this was only a year later. Was, yeah, and George did cover the, the team professionally at that stage, whereas I didn't. So really, George should have an advantage, but... Um... It's not going to be the case, is it? <laughs> right, let's crack on. Question number one. There's three questions each, by the way. Um, your second question is multiple choice. Uh, and when we get to the end, there's going to be a tiebreaker if it's uh, if it's all square. Here we go. So question one, Chris, this is for you. Okay. Which Spanish team did Newcastle United beat five three on penalties in pre-season? This wasn't the year it was caught, the game was called off. Was that was a different year? That was I oh know that was Fiorentina, a different year. Uh, oh. Deportivo. I might know is it Deportivo? Oh, yeah, he's right. It was Deportivo La Caruna. Well done. <laughs> Damn it, I knew that. Right, George, your first question. Newcastle United lost 2-0 to Blackpool in September of 2010. Uh, Blackpool's first goal was a penalty. Uh, who scored that penalty for Blackpool that day? Who scored for Blackpool? Oh, Who scored did... the penalty, yeah. I don't know, but I think that's if they were in the Premier League. That must have been Charlie Adam. It was Charlie Adam. Well done. Excellent. Lovely stuff. Process of elimination there. Question number two for you, Chris. How many different league and cup goal scorers did Newcastle United have in 2010-11? This is multiple choice. Was it A, 15, B, 12, or C, 13? League and cup, sorry, did you say that? League and cup, not pre-season. So 15, 12, or 13. And uh, we're not including own goals, of which there were one. 13. 
That's correct. C13. Yes. That's the correct answer. Well done. Oh, little little celebration there from Chris Wolf. Okay, George, your question, multiple choice. Newcastle United beat Aston Villa 6-0 in their first home game of the season. What was the attendance of that game? Was it A, 43,546? Was it B, 50,334? Or was it C, 48,245? Um... I think that was noticeable because it was low, actually, and that quite often mm. happens in Newcastle's first game when people are still on some holidays or whatever. Um, uh, so it's not the 50,000. Um, I will say a 43, whatever it was, thousand. A43,546 is the correct answer. Well done. Mm. Fantastic stuff. Wow, this is extraordinary. Hey, George, for someone who hates quizzes, you're not doing too badly here, mind. Uh, okay, question number five, and this one's for Chris. I'm also a genius. Don't ever forget that. I'm just a genius with a, ter- <laughs> with a terrible and so, memory. And so modest with it as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Chris, Newcastle famously beat Sunderland 5-1 on Halloween. Which three Newcastle players went into the book during that game? If you, get, you have to get them all right for if a he point. Get, If he gets this right, he's cheating. Three Newcastle players were in the book. Uh, no Google. Stephen Taylor. Okay, go on. Um, Kevin Nolan and Danny Simpson. You got one out of three right there. You got Danny Simpson right. So no point for you there for that one. George, any idea who the other two might have been? Uh, no. Carol. Yes. Colacini. No, check Teodi was the other one. Come on, check Teodi. Check Teodi, of course. Yeah. He used to walk Every on the pitch with the yellow match. card. That lad. Come on. Uh, George, if you get this right, well, you win. James James Perch arrived that summer, didn't he, and got booked in every single one of his first, whatever it was, five, five games, was it? First five league that games, five yellow cards. Still the only player to have done it. Yeah. And he's very proud yeah, of it brilliant. as well. He's very proud of that record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He also got two in pre-season as well. <laughs> he, said, he told me when I interviewed him, he said, I, I, I watch at the, at the start of every season to check that I retain that record. He says, I don't want to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he's got a little plaque up above the fireplace. Fantastic. Well, George, if you take this, you steal and uh, you will win. Um, Who did Alan Pardew say this about? He's come into the side and he's been brilliant. You get different characters in the game. He's not one who gets too fiery and it's helped us. He's a cool footballer and that helps us on days like Saturday. I mean, (laughs) again, I don't know the answer to that, but... I can only assume it was someone who was the opposite of what Alan Pardew said because most things tended to be the opposite of <laughs> what Alan Pardew said. So I'm going to get I'm going to guess at Nile Ranger. Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. Definitely, definitely not Nile Ranger. Oh. Chris, any ideas who that might have been? No, I don't know. Actually, I don't know this one. Um I would I'm gonna guess at Leon Best, but I don't know. No. He was talking about Mike Williamson. Ah. Yes, indeed. No, so that was actually it made sense. I thought I thought that was going to be something stupid, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, that was actually spot on, wasn't it? Uh, okay, right, so okay. that uh, that leaves the score at two two. I've got a tiebreaker question for you here. You both get a guess at this. The nearest one wins. Okay. What was Newcastle United's goal difference at the end of the 2010-2011 season? Chris? Oh, God's sake. It's very rarely positive, so I'm not going to suggest it was positive. Um, oh, actually, yeah. No, I'm going to go for minus six. Minus six. George, what's your guess? Hang on a second. So minus six. So let me just... I have to think about my tactics here. Um, so if I say minus five... I just we finished 12th. All right, minus five. George, that makes you the winner. The actual goal difference was minus one. Get in. There we go. Well, this was my last appearance on Pod on the Tine. I will not be back. I will not, I will not put myself through this again. I've bluffed, I've bluffed my way through yet yet more of my career. This is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You really did. You absolutely yeah, I won't, charlatan. I won't be. I've shithoused my way through that you quiz. Are. I'm... I'm I'm, I'm also not going to appear on this podcast again simply so I can retire as champion. Well, it'll just be me next week then. Nice one. <laughs> Excellent. Chris, anything to say for yourself in that disgraceful display? 
Uh, I'm, I apologise to everyone out there that I've let them yeah. all down and that uh, I've, f- I've fed this ego even more and I apologise for it. You have. Um, you've let me down, you've let George down, but most importantly, Chris, you've let yourself down, haven't you? I like to think I've used my I've used my sort of natural ability there in that, actually. I would like to say uh, there's age. no knowledge there. I've got no... Yeah, I just knowing, I sort of knowing about Newcastle, if not knowing the the specifics of these questions. I think I've I think I've done quite well. Like the attendance thing, I'm quite proud of that answer. Well done for blagging your way through that, George. Lovely stuff. Cheers. More of that next week. Cheers. Let's have a look forward to Arsenal. Here we go. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right then, let's move on, ladies and gents. We're going to move into uh, another new section here. We're going to look back into the annals of history, the archives of pain uh, as Newcastle fans. And just linking it back to that quiz, we're going to have a look at Newcastle v Arsenal at the Emirates, uh, 7th of November, 2010. And I believe we have a little clip to play. Barton's free kick. Oh, it's a terrific header and they have scored! Oh, literal chills, lads. I don't know about you. Absolute chills. Should turn the heating up. That was fantastic stuff. Andy Carroll rising high above Lucas Fabianski to nod the winner at the Emirates in 2010. Andy Carroll is absolute pomp there, wasn't he, George? Right in the middle of his prime. Fantastic header. He was He was astonishing. Yeah, you... We have sort of prepared this little bit, as opposed to the quiz, which um, which came as a bit of a shock. So, I, I mean, I have sort of looked back at this at this match, and I think the you know the astonish the, there are a few astonishing things about it when you think about it. A, you know, Newcastle won at Arsenal, which didn't didn't yeah. happen very often then. I think it was the first time they'd done that for ten years or so. And Carroll was just this sort of machine. You you it was the same in the Championship season, but definitely this season, you just saw him get better with every match and. You know, Fabianski, aka Flappy Hansky. Um, I don't think he dealt with Barton's free kick leading up to that very well. But Carroll was just was just this sort of machine and terrifying in the air and good on the deck and learning and growing. And there was so much sort of around. You know, there was loads happening around him, sort of off the pitch at the time. Yeah, but there was also sort of stuff happening around the team too, including Chris Hutton sort of mind-bogglingly being under pressure um, yeah. internally at the club. But but no, Carol, I mean, Carol, you know, we, we've seen we've seen this sort of different, diminished version of him um, at Newcastle since he's come home. And, um, but it's, and I think that perhaps that makes us forget a little bit just what an astonishing footballer he was. Um, and particularly for Newcastle then, and of course, not too long after that, he would be joining. He would be joining Liverpool too. But no, um, yeah, brilliant. He was just brilliant. He was unstoppable. I think it was pretty obvious that season that a lot of defenders who he came up against hadn't came up against anything like Andy Carroll before, uh, or maybe even since. <laughs> what the hell is this crazy six foot five man horse that uh, you know galloping towards me and trying to head me into the goal along with the ball? He was an absolute terrifying prospect for defenders, wasn't he, Chris? He was, and it's he was also he he was not only strong in the air though he was also very good on the deck, and so therefore it wasn't it wasn't as if he was sort of. Uh, a, a one-trick pony or whatever. He, he was very, very difficult to defend against, and he had an absolute hammer of a left foot. Um, and we saw, as, as George said, in the second half of that championship season, he started to really go into his own. The first half of 
the 2010-11 season, he was, he was arguably the best striker in England, certainly up there with them. And he, he ended up getting into the England squad and made his debut, I think it was that November, so it was around about the time that he scored this goal at, uh, at, at Arsenal. And it was... That, I think that was part of the reason why Newcastle really did surpass expectations that year. Certainly the first half of the year when Carroll scored and he got, he got the hat-trick early on against um, Aston Villa, if I remember correctly. And I just think it, it's just such, it's, it is such a shame. And when he came back, there was so much... You couldn't help but feel that nostalgia and we haven't seen much yeah. of it. I mean, for large parts of the game against Arsenal on Saturday, actually, I, he certainly wasn't the Andy Carroll of... of uh, 2010-11 but there was sort of signs of, of what he could bring other than shooting mm. obviously um, and so I just think that for someone that the, the fact that there was so much pride as well that he'd come through Newcastle's academy it was, he was a homegrown talent and he really did wear the mantle of, of the number nine very well and he, he, it, it didn't rest heavily on his shoulders of anything he grew when he wore it and it was it's just such a shame in many ways looking back and you, and you can, I think Carroll himself might argue that, that he maybe benefited and matured from leaving Tyneside and whether that would have been the best from it in that sense. Mm. But football wise, yeah. you just wonder if he'd stayed at Newcastle where his, his career may have gone because he's never, and injuries have really affected him obviously and he's never quite reached those levels. But for about 12 or 18 months, he was absolutely fantastic. I mean that win at Arsenal left Newcastle pretty pretty high up in the league, ninth or tenth, and uh, inexplicably Chris Hewton sacked just three weeks later. There was this really strange sort of attitude at the club at the time that they needed somebody who was more Hollywood. I mean, I remember speaking to Derek Lambaya sort of off the record, having an off the record chat with him, and kind of feeling very fearful about that, that they wanted, I mean, it's strange when you consider the club now, but they wanted attention on them because they wanted more TV games and they wanted, um, they wanted kind of excitement and adventure and, and that sort of stuff. And Chris was seen as a safe, safe pair of hands. He'd done well to get them, um, to get them sort of back up. I mean, I'm not talking about what I think about him because I think he was he, he did astonishingly well he, he held he was the you know he was the glue that held the club together during mm. this kind of astonishingly difficult and traumatic period but that's how he was seen inside sort of you know that it was boring and you know they'd they'd had that um the week the week before that was the five one over Sunderland wasn't it I think mm. um and then they go to Arsenal and win but yeah there was this there was this sort of narrative to use that crap word around the club at the time that he was sort of under pressure and it seems it seems ridiculous now it was their first season back in the champ uh, in the premier league and they were doing really well and um there was something to sort of it felt like there was something to sort of build on and yeah it was it was i mean alan pardew came into to sort of the opposite of fanfare he immediately showed that he could he knew how to set the team up and and you know we saw that kind of very quickly albeit you know he was coming from effectively coming from Southampton who were in the third tier, tier when he was there but his sort of regime started by saying um Andy Carroll is not for sale Andy Carroll is going nowhere and and then of course mm, Andy Carroll yeah. coming in so he was sort of on the back foot he was on the back foot from the start um and you know we we talk a lot about Steve Bruce and his relationship with fans and at the time at the time back then there was this sort of the, again there was this sort of absolute witless load of bollocks about Newcastle fans not being able to accept anybody as manager unless he was a Geordie or you know you know one of their own or or you know whatever it was and Chris Hewton was was absolutely loved and respected by supporters and he did a great job he certainly did well here's hoping that Andy Carroll can uh, can rekindle some of that 2010-11 form uh, when Newcastle visit Arsenal at the Emirates uh, this weekend coming well chaps thanks as always I think we're going to wrap things up there have either of you got any pieces out at the minute for the subscribers to look out for Um, well after the Arsenal game I did a piece about how Newcastle do not score goals and Trying to look at basically, I mean, that's not new information. Everyone knows that. It was basically <laughs> that the reason that it was new information was I was trying to look at why they don't score goals. And actually, there's in- mm. some interesting statistics that Opta ha- have a thing which they call quote unquote big chances. And it's, it's effectively, it's, it's chances that teams create, which you'd expect mm. them to score. And yeah. Newcastle have the best conversion rate in the Premier League. 
but they create so few chances that they don't score <laughs> yeah, many. Yeah. So essentially, the, the part of the problem is they just don't get the ball into the box. They don't get high enough, high enough yeah. up the pitch, and Steve Bruce is trying to address that, and hopefully um, it will bear fruit eventually. But yeah, Newcastle's lack of, of goals and, and what needs to, to be changed for that is a piece that I've got on there at the minute. Excellent. How about you, George? No. Good. Right, that's that sorted. Uh <laughs> Thanks as always, gents. Cheers. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you all for listening. Please remember to uh, hit subscribe so that you don't miss a show. Leave us a review and a rating if you're feeling particularly generous. And we'll see you next week on Pot on the Tine. Take care of yourselves. See you later. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.